welcome to uh, whatever episode number it is of Two Wizards <laughs> and a Mic, where uh, uh, Andrew and I get together and uh, we talk about stuff. This is Andrew over here. He is uh, the sponsor of the episode, Kaywood Publishing. Get your books there today. And uh, and basically, uh, a really damn awesome DM. And I'm Shane. <laughs> I play and goof off, so that's my role. Um <laughs> And uh, today we're talking about what? We are talking about how to plan a D&D session. So we talked a little bit about a broad idea of a whole campaign, which would be a series of these adventures. So today we're going to talk about planning one session, which uh, interestingly has changed over time. I would say back in the 70s and 80s, games were there were more games played by kids and younger people because it was so new and the games yeah. were longer for sure. Now I would say most of the games are two to four hours from, from what I've seen and heard and the polls I've looked at. There are people who still play long games and those are usually again, younger people. Um, yeah. You know, I couldn't, yeah, I think I would, I think it would be a challenge for me personally to play all day like I did. <laughs> I did in 1979. Oh, oh yeah. I remember playing, you know, you'd start at six in the afternoon or in the evening and you'd go until like three or four in the morning. And I mean, I, to be honest, every time that we've played, uh, I, I last like four hours and I'm glad that we have like a chunk and then a break and then a chunk, because I think by like the last 10 minutes, I might be doing this. Like, yeah, are we playing? Yeah. I'm old. I have, I need rest. <laughs> well, the other thing about it too is that, you know, obviously there's really a minimum. I think if you don't go for a couple of hours, I think two hours really is the minimum. Uh, otherwise, there's not really that much can happen. Again, this just, yeah. you know, this depends how big your group is. So we're talking yeah. about an average size group of, you know, I'd say three to six people. Um, so yeah, I think most games are two, three, four hours. Our West of the Wood group plays for about four hours, including our break. And the other group I have the, plays for three hours with a very short break. Right. Yeah, I mean, the break, it can help if you're playing for longer sessions, especially when, if you'd want to try, like if it's a special event and you actually really want to get some stuff of the story done that's sort of been, you know, these are the key things we want to hit today. Um, but yeah, for like, if you really want to like be efficient, you know, 15 minutes tops for a break and they just keep going. Yeah, I think if you have a shorter game, two, three hours, yeah, the short break works pretty well. Um, yeah, so games are shorter. Um, I think still, you know, in terms of organizing the one session, you want to make sure you have notes on the important things, your, you know, your overall story. Um, you want to note the level of the party. Um, I always note the passive perceptions of the characters because you use that quite a bit and um, the location of the story. So we talked in our last video when you're planning the whole campaign about the settings of Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, um, the world of Kryn, Shane mentions for Dragonlance, Dragonlance, and then our world of Mir, or of course, Homebrew, you can create your own world. So once you have those those, you know, if it's a published adventure, that gives you a lot of lore and a lot of content for your session. 
you want to make sure you know your you know who's your big bad evil guy and probably in the first session of a campaign they're not going to play a huge role you might introduce them no. um you know it might be a dragon or a wizard beholder devil um vampire there's lots of classic villains you don't want to wait too long to introduce them and you also don't want to take too long to get your your main plot rolling i know that yeah. one campaign i did i just waited a bit too long and it didn't really get going and it was one of the times we had breaks and um later i just wrote as an adventure and published it so um yeah if you look on the dms guild there's an adventure called um the wizard higgs uh, which is the advent, which was the campaign I planned for you guys um, in the West of the Wood group, but it never. I, I just started it. I didn't get the main plot going fast enough. Um, right. I don't think you want to give out too much information at the beginning, but you want to give enough to keep things moving in the right direction. So those are the kind of things at the beginning. You know, um, what are some of your classic uh, villains in terms of like at the heart of the story? Oh, wow. Uh, one of my favorite villains in a game that I ran um, was a character named Wicklow. Mm. And I had created this entire sort of long history of this character because uh, he wasn't undead, but he was immortal. Mm -hmm. And he had been living for a long time and essentially when uh, the party had encountered what he was doing. And this was uh, in sort of a desert world kind of idea. And they were trying to figure out what kind of stuff he was up to. They'd only heard about him in whispers kind of thing. And uh, eventually, uh, because he had all these, these magical abilities, he would torture the party by suddenly they would be attacked by some sort of weird creature that I'd never seen before. And I think I threw in like gigantic spiders and things like that stuff that didn't exist in the world mm -hmm. because I sort of made that, uh, I wanted it to be more sort of a, a, you know, spiders were not huge. They were pretty small, uh, that kind of realistic kind of idea. And, uh, and then I think I had a, 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 a party of uh, a werewolves show up at one point and, usually when they were sleeping when they went for their rests that's when these things would would attack and uh it was it was fascinating because it was it was a neat way to kind of get me as the guy running the game to kind of what would somebody who's been living a very long time who's kind of bored you know mm -hmm. he's he's got stuff his his life is he's got nothing but but pleasure and and, and money and everything else and you know, this party comes in to try and mess up with some of his business operations, what would he actually do? And and I thought, well, he would probably stalk them for some time and the party would not know he was around and, and like, oh, they're going to sleep now. Okay, oh, great. All right, I'll, I'll give them an hour. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, and do these. And it was it was kind of fun to get into that headspace of, uh, of that kind of thing. But for classic sort of uh, villains, I would think from from established uh, modules from, from years past, I would say... Strahd is probably the most interesting out of the bunch. Mm -hmm. And then uh, probably after that would be um, probably some of the, some of the, I'm trying to remember their names, but it's been a while, but the, like uh, the giants in the, in the original sort of against the giant stuff, like a lot of those were uh, quite memorable. And I, li I liked playing those sorts of characters too, but yeah. 
Yeah, those are some good examples. And you you bring up a really good point about you want to make sure that you know the motivations of your of your villain and your monsters. Because if you know that, yeah. you can really ad lib a lot of what happens after that. And that's the kind of thing yeah. you can put in your notes is what, like you say, what are they thinking about? What do they want? Um, and you can have these things happen in the story and the campaign, even when the players aren't there. So say they arrive at a village early on in this first session, um, they can they can find out about things that are happening even when they're not there. And you can make the world really come to life. And exactly, exactly. Yeah. And because a lot that, of times, sorry, oh, a lot of times, um, not only about motivations, but you want to understand how intelligent your villain is and your monsters, especially at the beginning. A lot of your monsters and your kind of henchman level, your beginner level um, villains, they're not actually going to be that smart. And that that's good because the party isn't that strong yet. Um, and only much later on, I think, in the campaign, are they going to really deal with very intelligent creatures like, you know, um, vampires, for instance, um, yeah. who will become, you know, they're not going to be satisfied if somebody just goes down and they're unconscious. They're going to go make sure they finish this person off. Yeah. Whereas when you're fighting a goblin and maybe they've knocked somebody out and they're still, but they're still um, stabilized, goblins are probably not going to notice or check, you know? Yeah. They're, they're not going to poke you with a stick to be like, are you dead now? Yeah. Probably. No, not it. You know, I'd say at least the first five levels for the, like the first five levels of the party, they're not probably going to run into too many really bright monsters and villains. Maybe in the background there might be, um, you know, like I had the vampires were at the center of our first campaign, but you didn't actually come face to face and have to deal with them until you were at least probably seven or eighth level, maybe a bit higher. Um, right. For low level characters, it would just, it would be over quick. Well, especially when you have characters that say, if you run across a, uh, a minor uh, villain, you know, say a, a, a sub boss as it were. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those types of characters, they, I mean, in my experience, they generally don't like to come after you directly. They, it's like, um, you know, they, they, they notice you in town. They're like, okay, well, I better hire 20 guys to go get mm -hmm. them, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that also brings kind of life to those kinds of characters because you don't have, uh, they're not like a, uh, I'm trying to think of a creature that just comes at you and doesn't give up until you're dead or it's dead. Um, but basically, you know, there's there's like a, a fiend or a or some sort of a devil where mm -hmm. you know they're just evil. So I'm mm -hmm. gonna chop you in pieces. Well, I'm gonna fight you. Well, you could do that, sure. But I'm gonna keep coming at you until one of us is toast. Mm -hmm. And uh, but yeah, you want to have a little more, as you as you put it, like you want a little more life in these characters, and you want to give them some sort of fleshed out roundness to them, so that they are not necessarily, you know, going to be just an evil creature in the middle of the night. You want them to be a little more interesting. But uh, but you still have to play kind of within their their sort of rules of, of what kind of creature they are, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you definitely. Yeah, and I think, again, you're not going to have a lot of super intelligent, challenging creatures for at the very beginning in terms of in terms of that sort of aspect. 
they might there might be a lot of brute force involved. Um, you also want to make sure, as you said, you know about the other henchmen, the other sort of evil NPCs, and also the good NPCs who um, maybe is, are going to help the party in some way, or end up being hired by the party, or are just important in that part of the world. You know who runs that the village, um, who who runs the inn, that kind of thing. Um, and it's a good thing to have just a collection of NPCs too at hand that you could use um, on the fly. So we, we've made a lot of those kind of books. Um, our main series are called uh, Friends and Foes. We have three books on the DMs Guild, and then there's also Hirelings and Henchmen on Drive-Through. And those books are just filled with characters that you could add to different, um, different areas. So the heart really of your planning a session are the encounters. And um, you want to make sure these are balanced. And um, you want to, it helps if they can be moved around. For example, you know, say the party take a road that you weren't expecting them to take. Um, you could move, if there's an ambush ha going to happen, you could move that ambush to a different location, for example. Right. Or if there's a very interesting NPC or several NPCs that the party you want them to meet, maybe that meeting can occur in a number of different places. It could occur on the road, uh, back in the village, maybe outside a temple or outside a, a dungeon. So I think it's really important to be able to have those encounters that you can move around. Um, sometimes they can't be. Sometimes the encounter has to take place at this spot. Um, but I think most encounters, uh, many encounters, you can move around and use them depending on what the party does. Yeah, I was just I'm just looking up the uh, this particular book, which of course everyone out there needs to go and pick up, uh, which is uh, the Between Adventures one, mm -hmm. um, which is a book that uh, I have uh, bought I don't know ages ago. Um, but it has a lot, yeah, just like you're saying, it has a lot of those sorts of little sprinkles of things where you have uh, the different characters, the different, uh, I, you know, one thing I, I like about the books that you've written, by the way, is you deal a lot with stuff that I don't think people actually think about when they're not playing or planning an adventure mm -hmm. that, you know, there's all of these ideas that you could have for locations, these ideas for um uh, the different characters you're going to encounter and having resources like those books uh, or even just bringing them up on your own. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having a resource like that book gives, I think, a lot of DMs when they're prepping for a game and planning out the adventure is that they could just go, I'm going to grab that, flip it open, look for, okay, I need a character that's a shopkeeper. I need mm -hmm. a character who's a rogue. And, and you, there's already that kind of stuff planned out that even gets them, you know, to really flesh out a, a, a character that's going to really add to their game. And uh, yeah, so while you were talking there, I, I was like, I've got to find the link for it. So if you saw the link on the screen, don't forget to pause the video and go there because it's really cool. And, um, but yeah. Yeah, no, those are, and yeah, those kind of handbooks, the Between Adventures handbook and Between Dungeons handbook. So those have all the things, like you said, you can use in planning to fill out your settlement, to fill out road encounters, for example. Because at the beginning, the party's not going to be able to travel very far. So yeah. you kind of want to do a big circle around the area where they could end up 
and then make sure you have things prepared for that territory. So, you know, inns and taverns and stables, stores, and then road encounters. What happens if they travel from here to here? Um, you also want to include things with the terrain. How is that going to affect things? Is it going to slow the travel down? Maybe the weather gets involved as well. And all that kind of description makes the world really come to life and be more immersive. And again, have things happen that are going to happen whether or not the party go there or not. So that they well, realize exactly. that the world is alive. Well, yeah. I mean, when you have, like, when you're talking about the terrain, like the, and the weather effects and what kind of things those, and how those can actually play together, because mm -hmm. you could have, you know, if you don't want your characters to go somewhere where they're off the beaten path, you just want them to kind of, you know, just direct them in the way that you want the story to go. Um, you know, it could be something like, you know, the, oh, well, I, you do try to go that way, but remember the rain, it looks like this mm -hmm. entire area has been washed out or, mm -hmm. or flooded or, uh, or, or look, it, it flooded out and something really deep within the earth has suddenly come out and doesn't want you to go that way. It'll eat you right. if you try to go. But, uh, yeah, cause you got the, the, that, and then you can basically build the encounters off of that sort of effect, which I think is is something that a lot of people don't do. They don't use the environment in a way that gives them some organic stuff because that's the one thing I like about the creatures. I like them to be, uh, mm -hmm. that they have a reason to be there. Like yeah. if you go into a dungeon and suddenly there are stone golems, it's like, well, they would be there because, you know, you're they're protecting something. Exactly. And uh, But if you found a stone golem wandering around on the road out in the daylight, it's like, should we kill him or is he lost? You know, hello, sir, do you need help? You know? There's just kind of things you had kind of have to really think about when you're when you're planning these out. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the first things I'll do as far as looking at the monsters for each session is I'll just look at the party's challenge rating level. Basically, what creatures are they going to be able to deal with, and then um, look at what creatures that level and lower could be found in this setting where they are and this environment, this this um, terrain. And then sometimes you even want to have um, some of the more powerful creatures that maybe they just fly by or you find out they did something, even though the party is not going to actually come um, head to head with them. They're not actually going to have to deal with them. But they, right. again, the world seems alive because that's, that's what kind of creatures live there. Um, I also make treasure when I plan quite uh, open-ended so i have a list of treasure basically again you, if you look in the dungeon master's guide or I, or in our treasured finds book the treasure is organized so characters of a certain level this is the this is the kind of treasure they can get so what i do is i just make a list of treasure including um coins including gemstones including uh, artifacts or art, art items and certain npcs might have certain treasure but the rest of it, I, I actually dole out as I go along and connect it to the encounter so that, so that if a fight is, if there's a really big fight, I can make that treasure chest or that hoard that they find, find it's going to be, it's going to be a bit more than it, than maybe another encounter. So maybe if an encounter goes really quickly and it doesn't look like the enemy was that difficult, the treasure hoard is not going to be as great. And the, the thing that I like about um, the when you're finding treasure, you're not necessarily like, well, I love the moments where it's like 
you open the chest and inside are 70,000 platinum pieces. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, I can carry 20 of those and there's going to be the rest. And then you have Mm -hmm. to like, we've spent so many times, some of our adventures of actually people going, okay, so uh, we've got to keep that because you you could ignore copper pieces or you could ignore you know something that's not very valuable. But if you run across those kinds of things, it's like we really want to keep them. So you just try to stash them, or you try to come up with these elaborate schemes about how you're gonna like you know let's get a, a cart and I throw it onto a cart and we'll wheel it out of the dungeon right now and we'll we'll take it down the street. And it's like right, right. <laughs> I love yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it's very true, especially back in original Dungeons and Dragons. The hordes were ridiculous. Like you said, you know, <laughs> you open the treasure chest, there's 20,000 gold pieces, a plus five great sword, you know, a plus three shield, uh, 14 healing potions. Like it was just crazy. It was not realistic. So, and we've had with our West of the Wood group again, where there's a recent um, adventure you guys were in a session where. They found all this treasure in this old castle and they were about to enter a portal to travel somewhere else. They didn't know where they were going. They were pursuing somebody, but they knew they couldn't carry all the treasure. So they buried it (laughs) in the (laughs) castle and they hoped to go back and get it one day. (laughs) It's sort of like in Skyrim when you're you've totally overloaded yourself, you find some cool treasure and you're like, I'll put it in this barrel. And I'll come back later if I remember and if it's still going to be there. Oh, I, I do that a lot, uh, especially when you start having when you you have a home base of some sort in Skyrim mm-hmm. and you dump things into stuff and then you run out yeah. of space and it's like, ah, to start throwing it on the floor. And that becomes a whole adventure in itself <laughs> because you've got all like just all this stuff and you're like, yeah, I, I didn't plan this very well. And now I have to find that sword that had the whatever thing attached to it. And. I'm glad they don't let you drop quest items because that's something that I've done uh, yeah, oh yeah. Oh in games God, for before. Sure. And it's yeah. like, oh crap, where did I put the which was it? And I need to, oh man, they have to backtrack for 40 hours. For sure. <laughs> um, another thing you want to look at in terms of planning too is maps. Uh, you probably you want to map out this little area that you're starting with and what, for whatever uh, session you're doing. Or if you have a published adventure or a published setting, again, that helps you because you sometimes have those maps. Um, One example I'll give quickly is the classic U1 um, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. Say that quickly 10 times. Exactly. (laughs) So this is a very classic (laughs) adventure from AD&D in the 80s. So in that adventure, the players are arriving in a seaside port the council of this town is asking for help because they're worried about a house nearby on the coast that appears to be haunted. So that's your basic starting point. So as a dungeon master, what I would do would be fill out that town a bit, you know, get at least one inn, maybe and one tavern with some characters in them, find out what they're like, put a little description. Uh, think about the economy of the area and the fishermen. Think about what boats could be at the docks. Um, what people are being worshipped at the temple probably has to do with the ocean. Um, then make sure you have some encounters on the road. And they don't have to be, again, at first level, they don't have to be that involved and that dangerous. But have some encounters from the road to the haunted house and maybe back to the haunted house if they survive. <laughs> 
and then get to know because it's a published adventure get to know everything you can again that's in there get to know the haunted house read up on all the creatures that are in there read up on the treasure and the magic items read up on what spells can be cast so that that would be for me that would be kind of the basics and and know the motivations of the people who run the town and whoever or whatever is at this house if it's haunted maybe it's not exactly so, yeah yeah that's the kind of thing i would do and it, again it's much easier with a published adventure but um but we've given you kind of an outline for a homebrew possibility as well the other thing which we've talked about a little bit before which we could maybe end up with end up today with is possible starts so shane gave it yeah. a great start last time about being in a jail and there's a jail break and the, the walls you know, explosion there's an explosion there um so an you know the classic start is everyone meets in a tavern uh, another great start is that you've been hired like for example in the salt marsh adventure not the new one the original one um right that you've been hired by the town um so you could be hired by someone to help them out and uh, often there's treasure or some reward uh, another one is that you're a member of a faction already and there's something that that faction needs to do and you're part of it one that you mentioned last week shane was a natural disaster of some kind yeah that's one of my favorites i think uh which actually i've i've noticed in a lot of uh homebrew stuff i've seen online that there there are a few more of those kinds of events where mm -hmm. you know earthquakes can happen uh either through you know because of what's going on when the in the adventure like if you have somebody doing something that's you know disturbing the earth or whatever right but uh but then there's other things like floods like are very simple you know it's like suddenly mm -hmm. your guy everyone's being everybody roll a deck save because otherwise you're all going into the creek yeah and uh and that kind of thing so it's it's really it's really can throw uh players off because I, one thing that that i always try to avoid is when they get into that mindset of here's the adventure we are the heroes and we have to get to point b uh and that's where we'll we'll settle the adventure and and, and get the reward but it's like well uh like you're you're the being swept away by beer in your adventure completely a thing that was that you came up with to solve a problem of a character not being or a player not being there mm -hmm. and then being tossed into into like an underground tunnel somewhere i forgot exactly where we went but um but that it definitely gives you that uh ability that you've planned everything out you got thrown a curveball you looked at your plan you're like you know what there's suddenly going to be a uh, another tunnel underneath where they are uh mm -hmm. that they don't see right now and then suddenly this 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 beer tsunami is going to come through mm -hmm. and boom hey there it is the wall gives way and suddenly you're somewhere else so yeah a lot of that, that all of that planning and uh you know being able to 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 come up with ideas on the fly it really helps so you've got that base and you can just play with it afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Great point. And that, you know, you're all your, you know, you're, I'm sure you're speaking with all your improv experience. Yeah. It's yeah, that uh, definitely once you have helps. That, yeah. Well, I think every, you can learn that. And uh, once you have that structure, you can do lots of things. And a lot of many times for me, a lot of those improv experiences and things that happen are the best parts of the game, but it helps yeah. to have that structure there that you can rely on. Um, Another exactly. start is uh, if you're lost, like you could just be lost. 
I should also point out about the natural disaster that I think you mentioned this last time that a great point about it is that it really brings the party together immediately. They have to work together. Um, same with the same in the circumstance and the situation that if they're lost, um, they could be spies, they could be exiles. That's that's a good one. I haven't used that one yet. Um, a smuggler, we had that before where the whole party were smugglers. So they're not evil. Uh, we don't have evil PCs in our story, but they're not good either. They're just they're, working people, you know, they're right. doing their work. Exactly, exactly. They're trying to survive. Yeah. And then I mentioned in Skyrim about how a popular mod has many of these kind of different starts to the, the game. So ones that they have include, um, you're just out camping, um, a proper, you're a property owner already. So that's another possibility. Maybe you own a, an inn or a tavern or a store. Um, you're a soldier in a war um, or a soldier at the end of a war. Um, you arrive by ship somewhere or arrive uh, in a new, some kind of new land. And um, there's many, many other ideas, but there's, and then each session, of course, you're going to have a new start. Um, but there's a lot of original ways of starting off the whole campaign as well. Yeah, my favorite from that particular mod in Skyrim was I chose to be a vampire for some reason. And then I was a store owner in some town. And you start out in the middle of the day standing out in a square. And I'm like, why am I out here? <laughs> But <laughs> I, uh, I I did one recently where it's you start in a jail and you have one lockpick and rags. You're wearing rags. And that is it. You don't have any money. You don't have any weapons. You have and you start out in one of the Thalmor castles. So these are oh, some great. of the nastiest, toughest evil elves. And basically your plan, I think the only way you can survive <laughs> personally is if you if the lockpick works then you just run and so that's what i did <laughs> and i got to every door just as they were about to like just cut me down um yeah there's another that, great that would start. be a great campaign for a game just like it would okay be. uh it would run be. what do you yeah, mean should we be, fight the sure. blah, blah. No, you shouldn't. Why? You don't have anything. What do you mean? Sure. I have a character that's supposed to have all these skills. Nope, you don't. Not right now. Yeah. Another good one was that this person, you start out as a bandit. So they put you in a cave with a whole bunch of bandits. But I don't play evil characters in Skyrim either. So um, I just killed all the bandits, took all their stuff, and then left. <laughs> of course, because that's a good character, a hero. Hello, Larry. Uh, I'm so glad you joined our... Oh, why are you stabbing me? Ah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. They don't even go on... By the time they're on alert, you know, they're, it's it's over. And you're walking out with their treasure. And they're all just lying there. I got to say, that's a really solid way to start in that particular game. Because then yeah. you suddenly have all this stuff you would not normally have access to because... Yeah. The normal start is sort of, here's a bow and arrow and a and a and a sword. Good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but on that note, I mean, those are, that's uh, a lot of really good information about starting and 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 being able to plan out uh, how to actually have a successful D and D session where you're going to be able to make most people happy. Uh, including uh, the DM, which is probably the most important, would you say? 
Well, <laughs> for me, I'm just setting the scene for the characters, and I hope they, you know, and the players, I hope they enjoy it. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, like you and I are always saying, it's, at the end of it, uh, just a what? Game. Sorry, it's a oh, game. See? <laughs> and thank you all for watching and thank you all and don't forget to leave comments and all that kind of fun stuff because we're doing this for the fun of it and we want you to have fun too so uh we'll see you next week with more pearls of wisdom falling from our from our minds later, later.